0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Okay, you didn't sound (laughs) too excited. I think I know why, though, because um, the world has basically skipped over Thanksgiving, right? It's Christmas already, just about everywhere you look. My wife and I were on vacation in Hawaii, no less, and the Christmas trees were already up. What's cool about Hawaii is that they put surfboards on their Christmas trees. It's pretty funny. Uh, But it was like, you know, middle, I mean, the beginning of November, we haven't even gotten to the to all the trimmings and all the stuffing and all that, but they already moved on. Uh, Maybe that's the reason Thanksgiving is uh, overlooked. Or maybe, maybe this year you found it hard to be thankful. I think for some of us, the year 2019 has been a tough one, a difficult one. And in the middle of a difficult season, sometimes it's very hard to be grateful I love the song, the kids sound great, you know, the motions. But the truth is, sometimes, some years, it's very difficult to be grateful. So if that's what you're going through today, if that's what you're feeling, you're going to identify with the uh, sentiments of our character in today's Bible story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to invite you to turn there with me, 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, This fall, I have been... uh, Uh, Trying to soak in lessons from the life of prophet Elisha. And how he was so different from his predecessor, although he was called to to fill in his shoes, but he was so different. His responses were so different. And in this particular story we're about to read, 2 Kings chapter 4, he responds in in a way that you may not expect. So we're going to read it together. Are you there, 2 Kings chapter 4? Say amen. All right. There may be few of us, but we will be mighty, all right? So you just go ahead and let your voice ring out, (laughs) all right? You just say amen. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is what the Word of God says, beginning with verse 1. Then the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. We talked about this, so you'll recall Elisha's, one of Elisha's role at the end of Elijah's career was to resurrect the school of the prophets. Now, maybe what we think a school of prophets would be might be different from what they were doing these were not monks these were men of the city people like you and me who elisha and elijah were saying come and learn about god once again we have forgotten our heritage we have lost our knowledge of the word of god come and learn so they established these these schools these workshops these places where men of the city Guys who had regular jobs and families would come and we, they would be filled with instruction from the Word. They were trying to recapture their identity. And the Bible tells us that essentially one of these men passed away. And after his death, the things happened, as you know. And his wife came and spoke to Elisha. So the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, a wife now a widow, she comes to Elisha and she says, your servant, he served you, he learned from you, he worked with you. It's quite possible that Elisha and him had, had gone on spiritual errands before, but she says, your servant, my husband, he is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. She says, he, he had a family, he had responsibilities, but he took an, an investment in learning about God, he, he took his time and his energy to devote to the cause of God. You know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. You know that in Old Testament times, uh, they had uh, credit, <laughs> not like us, <laughs> but they had credit. People could borrow, and, and you were allowed to pay it off by working for it. But you know that God built into the system, at least their system of economics, a period of forgiveness, a jubilee year, where the debts would just be canceled, so you wouldn't be forever in debt, like we are now. If you have a credit card, chances are you do. You get the statement every month, and on it it says there's this little little box that some you got, You know what I'm talking about? It says your balance is, and then there's a little box that says if you if you just pay the minimum payment which is what they said, hey, it's all you need to pay. This is how long it will take you to pay off this balance. Well, before the government forced them to do that, you didn't know. (laughs) They said minimum payment, $25, and you're like, great, off my back, but essentially it would just accrue and accrue and accrue forever. (laughs) But in their system, uh, you you were allowed to require payments, and what you would do is you would ask somebody to work for you, not as a slave, but as an employee to pay off the debt. And in this case, it would have been the prophet. It would have been the man in the company of prophets who would have paid this debt by working it off, except he died. And now the creditor was coming to collect. And so she comes and she cries out to Elisha and she says, My husband is dead, but, 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 but when he dies, his debts remain and they get passed on. And now the creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. It's it's an exaggeration in a sense because he could only demand payment until Jubilee year. But nonetheless, these boys, we don't know how old they were, are going to have to go and work for somebody else. You might imagine her situation, see. Uh, In their culture, it was a man who had the ability, the authority and the ability to to, to be part of of commerce, to do business and to earn. And it was in his name that things were held. And so when a woman lost her husband, she didn't just lose part of her identity. She lost her economic lifeline. But there were these boys who might grow up and help her, their mother, and now she is losing that as well. And in these moments when you're faced with overwhelming odds and circumstances, it's hard to be grateful, right? It's hard to be grateful. So she does the only thing she can think of. She goes and she demands help. From Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he was a good man and he revered the Lord. But now, she's saying, in spite of that, I'm still in this mess. You know what, uh, of course, I've known and you've known, but it was emphasized to me this year in particular, 2019? Just because you love God and serve God doesn't mean you will be spared from trouble. Right? We know that. But sometimes in the back of our minds, we kind of hope that if we do the right things, you know, we go to church, we, 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 we check off all the things in a box, that somehow we will be protected. In my mind, I think that sometimes I can't see it. And if God were to pull back the curtain, I might marvel at how many things God has done to protect me. But he never promised that he would spare us from it all. Not in this life. No, you know, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble and it's in those moments of trouble that we find ourselves sometimes having a difficult time remembering who god is so the woman the widow comes and she demands my husband was a good man but now what do i do just because he studied the bible just because he went to church just because that doesn't mean i don't have debts i don't have problems what do i do now And Elisha's response to her was, how can I help you? And then he says something odd. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? So she comes and she says, I need financial help. Not uncommon if you're a pastor of a church. I need financial help. But his answer is, well, what do you have? How much do you have? What is in your possession and she responds, your servant has nothing there at all, she says. <laughs> I have nothing. It appears, it appears that this husband who passed away was not very good at money management. Right? I have a wife, two kids, and at the point of his death, there was nothing saved, nothing prepared. So she says, I have nothing at all. And we're living on credit. He's an average American. Your servant has nothing there at all, she says, except for a small jar of olive oil. A small jar of olive oil. Now, if, if you're a student of the Word, you would recognize this kind of like as an odd uh, echo because you know that Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, had done this amazing miracle for a woman and her son with a little bit of oil. Y'all remember that, right? So when she says to Elisha, I had just a little bit of oil. I don't know. I don't know what he felt. Maybe a, maybe a, a, a twinkle of nostalgia or maybe some trepidation, some doubt. See, he had been walking in the footsteps, but in the shadow of Elijah. But now he's he has come into his own. And he understands that his role is different. Elijah's role was to call people to a point of conviction, to help them to see how far they were off. But Elijah's job is to reconcile and to heal. We've been talking about his story, bringing people back from the dead, making bad things good. Water that couldn't be uh, uh, drunk, he, he makes that sweet again he is he's healing the land and so when this woman comes and she says i have this oil he begins to think and he begins to ask and wonder with god in a moment and he says here's what i want you to do verse 3 look at me look with me chapter 2 chapter four, Second kings verse 3 elisha says i want you to go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars and do not just ask for a few Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars, and do not just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to the side. It's a strange request. She says, I need help. I need money. I've got nothing. But when he says, what do you have? She says, this is all I have. See, when we are focused on our troubles, we limit the resources that we have, because we tend to focus on what we do not have. And so he turns the question around. He says, but what do you have? He says, all I got is this. Perspective is what makes the difference here. For to her, that little jar of olive oil was was a pittance. The only thing left, the only remainder. But to Elisha, this was a way that she could be a part of the miraculous provision of God. See, what I find interesting about this story is Elisha doesn't, like, wave his hands over that thing, or, you know, he doesn't do any ceremonial things and, and miraculously provides. But I think that's what she would have wanted, Because I think that's what most of us want when we're in trouble. We're in a tough situation. We want God and we pray, God, please help me. Get me out of this mess. Deliver me. We want God to sort of wave his magical wand over us and change stuff and change people, change scenarios, miraculously fix bank accounts. We want God to wave his hand. But the thing is, in this case, Elisha doesn't do that. He turns this moment of request Right back to her, and he gives her an opportunity to act in faith on her own behalf. So he says, Go back and ask all your neighbors for their jars. See, by this time, since her husband was dead, it was common knowledge. Her creditor was coming, it was probably, you know, everyone knew in the neighborhood. By this time, Probably everyone was aware that she was left with nothing. Her husband had died. Provisions were gone. Probably people talked. And by this time, it would have been even more embarrassing to go and ask for empty jars. No, it's kind of an odd thing, right? Imagine. People in the neighborhood might think, you're crazy. You're not only poor and, and in trouble, but now you've lost it. You, you don't want help. You want empty jars. Or maybe they had already said no. Maybe that's how she finally ended up at Elisha. We're not sure. But, but, but I can just tell from reading the story that he's asking her to do something really awkward and out of the ordinary. Go and ask for empty jars. But then he has this phrase, don't just ask for a few. See, what, I, what I'm coming to understand is that oftentimes you and I are focused on our present problems and we want God to give us a solution to this, but we settle for too little because we're just not convinced that God can do more than what, than what we can undo. See, we want God to fix the problems that we make, but we're not, we're not convinced that he wants more for us. So we settle for too little. And that's why Elisha says, don't just ask for a few. Don't just ask for a few. Get all the, all the jars that you can. Then go inside, shut the door, and pour into all the jars. Now, as the moment he says that, I know her mind says, not possible. It's one little jar. How far will it go? And that's essentially the response you and I have when we bring our problems before God. The moment you're praying, God help me, I know it because I'm just like you. In our minds, we're thinking, well, what is God going to do about this? What can God actually do about my marriage? What can God actually do about this job or this problem? And she could have, in that moment, when he said, keep pouring into these empty jars, she could have said, okay, okay. Thanks, you just want me to go away. And she could have said, fine, all right, but not believe it. But the Bible tells us that she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought all these jars, and they began to pour and kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her sons, bring me another one. She kept pouring kept pouring, and she was amazed that the oil didn't run out. It just kept pouring and kept pouring. And after the jars were filled, she says, another one and another one and another one. Keep bringing them. Keep bringing them because this oil doesn't seem to run out until the boys said, there is none left. There is not a jar left. And then, and only then, did the oil stop flowing. Isn't that pretty cool? (laughs) I think it is. See, the oil was going to flow in direct relationship to her getting the jars. The provisions of God are directly related to our acts of faith. Do you see that? And not the other way around. So some of us think when God pours out the oil, then I'll believe. But the way this works is you've got to believe first in order for God to deliver. You've got to believe it to see it and not the other way around. That's what faith is, right? Hope and things not seen. This belief that God will, even though in the present, He hasn't. And the oil would have kept flowing if there was more jars. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. But when they were all filled, the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil. Pay your debts, and your sons can live on what is left. See, what God wanted to provide for her, listen, was not just a get-out-of-debt solution provision for the rest of her life. Did you see that? The, your voice can live on what is left. So much oil. Now for you and I, maybe oil is not that important, but for them, it was used in all facets of life. Yes, for cooking, but it was also used in rituals, for anointing and other things, for fuel, for, for lights. For them, oil was the lifeblood of a daily economy. So everyone was going to be able to buy it. And not just... You know, businessmen and merchants, but the very people who lent those jars. See, what God wants to do when we're in a season of trouble, He wants to provide not just for us, but everyone around us. Maybe not with the economic help, but with the spiritual help to know that there is a God who still provides. Amen? Go and sell the oil, pay your debts, and you can live on what is left. <laughs> Imagine if she'd just gone out and got two or three jars, right? But I just think that that's how you and I respond to God's invitation. Sometimes we settle for too little. But God wants to fill the jars to overflowing. He wants to fill the jars to overflowing because God wants to overflow blessings, not just to you, but to everyone around you. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. I think God's invitation here and for this season of Thanksgiving is that we begin to recognize that God is much more powerful than we give him credit for. And that we need to trust in him. And you know how we do that? With Thanksgiving. As Ms. Trina read earlier, that's why the Bible says, come into his courts, come into his gates with thanksgiving, and praise his name forever because his love endures forever. See, I have the sense that as a community, we need to understand that it's in our gratitude that we make the jars available for God's oil. It's our gratitude that become the jars for God's provision. God cannot bless us if we have shut our hearts to his goodness. God cannot bless us if we have closed off the doors to see what he has already given us. So the question is, what do you already have? In this season of Thanksgiving, it's, it's hard because some of us have had a tough year, and we're focused on the losses. We're focused on the things that didn't work out. We're focused on the things that we're still missing. But God says, what do you have? Has he been good to you at all this year? And maybe that's the reframing that needs to take place today. Maybe that's how we can turn our jars upside down and finally begin to receive the oil of God's blessing. Has God been good to you? See, I find that fascinating because the truth is, this week, God has been amazingly good to me. And yet, even last night, I struggled thinking about it. How our mind works, right? We focus on the one criticism, forget the ten compliments. We focus on the one obstacle, and we forget the hundred blessings. But here in this moment, that's what we want to do. So I'm going to invite you to do something for me. David and uh, Chip, can you guys help me? I'm going to put a piece of paper in your hand. And there are pens in the pews in front of you. I want you to do something for me. We're going to, we're going to praise God. We're going to fill this jar Old Testament style. <clears throat> I want you to think of one sentence to give God gratitude for. It's very simple. It goes like this. Can I have the sentence on the screen, please, Mikey? Grab a piece of paper in your heart. Write the sentence out on this paper. Thank you, God, for, and then you fill in just one sentence and end your sentence with this phrase, His love endures forever. Thank you, God, for it. And and take your time. Whatever comes to your heart, whatever comes to your mind, maybe as you reflect on on God's goodness this past year, Maybe as you think about what God has done for you, you can keep one. How God has blessed you. And I want you to write it out. Thank you, God, for, and then you fill in the blank there. And once you're done, you write those simple words His love endures forever. And in just a few moments, the piano, piano will begin to play. And what I want you to do is to come forward. And if you would be brave, if you would just read that sentence, thank you God for, and read it, and then we will respond with you with that last phrase. It's, the, it's Old Testament praise here. You know, that's how the Psalms work, right? Someone would read, and the, and the congregation would say, his love endures forever. It's a, it's a way for us to say amen to God's goodness upon your life. That's how we fill the jar. Fill the jar with gratitude. So as the music begins to play, as you write your thoughts there. I invite you to come forward and give a moment of gratitude to God to reframe your year, reframe your space. Can I have this microphone on, please? Anyone can do it. Just write out your sentence and come forward. Read it into the mic, and let's fill this jar.